I mentioned last week that I felt we should start the year with an appeal toward relationships, specifically in our church community, but not exclusive to that, but an appeal toward godly relationships. And my desire in doing that and starting this year thinking about having healthy, godly relationships in our church is to see God's glory in us building up relationships that we have that are already healthy. And at the same time, this desire to see God's glory in reconciling relationships among us that are not healthy. And I think this exercise of evaluating relationships and then working on relationships so that they are healthier is part of the Christian ethic. In our prayer focus this week, we'll talk about at the end of the message. In Romans 13, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There is one debt in your life that you should never pay off, and that is the debt to love others. The debt specifically to love other believers. You owe them that debt, and it is to never be paid off. And love is expressed not merely in emotion. It's not just a theory. It's not just for you to say, well, sure, I love them. But love is expressed in deeds, in actions. Paul says in Romans, in essence, that if you truly love one another, you will always do the right things toward one another. I believe that healthy Christ-centric relationships are a non-negotiable if a church desires to grow together and to see God adding to their number day by day, people who are being saved. I want to say that again because I can't express it enough. If you are a part of this church community and you have a desire to see God move here, if you are part of this church community and you have a desire to see God doing mighty things here, among us for His glory. If you are part of this church community and you desire to see God adding to our number, then us loving one another deeply and having healthy Christ-centric relationships is a non-negotiable. We will not skip that and get the other. We must love one another and it must be expressed in actions for us to truly see God moving among us. So to this end, we're looking at Philemon. A very unique letter. Very short letter. Kevin, when I sent him the verses last night, he said, so you want me to read the whole thing? And I said, well, minus five verses, yes. It's the entire letter. Last week we did an overview of the letter. And we looked at the big gospel themes in it. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back to the website, go back to the church app and watch that sermon just to get an idea of kind of a higher view, gospel-centric view of Philemon. But there are three main players in this letter beyond Christ who's at the center of it. There's Paul, the apostle writing the, the letter, who is imprisoned in Rome for preaching about Jesus. That is where he is when he writes this letter. He is writing it to Philemon, a wealthy Roman citizen who had previously heard the gospel under Paul's ministry and been saved. 
probably in Ephesus. And Onesimus, a bondservant who had likely stolen from Philemon and then fled to Rome away from him. And there in Rome, he encountered the Apostle Paul. Onesimus heard the gospel and he was saved. And so what is he going to do next? Onesimus, at the urging of Paul, plans to return to Philemon, his master whom he stole from. And he is going to return to him and seek out reconciliation with his brand new brother in Christ. That was brave. Paul, as he's ministering to Onesimus, also wants to minister to Philemon. And so Paul writes this letter, and he is urging Philemon to be reconciled to Onesimus. He's probably going to send the letter with Onesimus. Imagine how that goes. Hey, hey, read this first, right? And he is urging Philemon to be reconciled to Onesimus and then build with him a healthy Christ-centric relationship. Not just to forgive him, but to be reconciled and to receive him as a brother. And so what I want us to do today is I actually want us to examine how Paul does this. I want us to look at how Paul approaches Philemon. And I, and I want to use that to derive for us some biblical principles that we can use on how we build up and restore godly relationships in the church and godly relationships that we have, our marriages, our families, with our children, with our parents, our friends. I want us to see how Paul does this so we can learn how we can do it. And so I hope as we're doing this that you'll consider your relationships, those that are healthy, those that are not. And how do we apply what Paul did, what God led Paul to do, so that we can see our own relationships strengthened and rebuilt? And as we're going through this, let God bring to your mind those relationships that need work in your life. And ask the question to yourself, how do I pay this debt of love I owe these people? So if you're a note taker, I hope you grab one of the worship guides off the back table. And we're going to fill in five biblical keys to building up a godly relationship. We're walking through this letter from Paul to Philemon. Five biblical keys to building up a godly relationship. Number one, look for and acknowledge God's grace in the other person. Look for and acknowledge God's grace in the other person. Paul opens this letter in the first several verses, not with flattery, but sincere encouragement. He opens the letter telling Philemon why he is so thankful for him. He talks about how he is a fellow worker for the gospel. He acknowledges how Philemon has opened his home so that the church in Colossae, a brand new growing church, could meet in his home. He goes on to talk about how Philemon has an ongoing trust in Jesus. And Paul tells him in verse 7, Philemon, I have joy in my own life because I have heard how you're treating other people in the church. I guess not that you're doing it to me, 
But I see how you are encouraging and helping the church, and I have such joy in knowing that. The work needed for us to have healthy relationships, that work starts in us, not the other person. Before Paul asked anything of Philemon, before he asked him one thing, he expresses all the gratitude he has for him because of the grace that he sees in him. If we're honest, too often what we do is we focus on flaws in someone else, not grace in someone else. And that is a recipe for division. And I would press into that a little bit and say to us that if if we can't see or we can't acknowledge grace in another believer, that issue is probably ours, not theirs. Because there is grace in every believer. I've told you many times preaching to you that there is power in gratitude. I've told you many times that when you're in a low place or a hard place or a depressed place or a sad place or an angry place, that to avoid resentment and bitterness, you need to work on gratitude. I've counseled, I get a journal and write all the things you're thankful for in your life. And the same is true in relationships, that being thankful protects us from bitterness. The more you can look for and celebrate God's grace in someone else, even if you're not the recipient of that grace, the more your heart is ready to pursue a healthy relationship with them. Because you're not just focused on the flaws. You're not just focused on the things they've done. You're focused on God's grace in them. And it's really hard to stay angry and bitter at someone when you can thank God for all you see going on in their life that He's doing. So first of all, look for and acknowledge God's grace in the other person. Secondly, talk to God and ask Him to do mighty acts in that person and through that person. Talk to God about them and ask Him to do mighty acts in them and through them. So Paul tells Philemon in verse 4 and in verse 6, he says, I pray for you. I pray for you. And it's not just a, he's not just throwing it out there like, oh, I've been praying for you. Like he tells him, here's what I've been praying. And one of the things that Paul tells Philemon is, I keep asking God that he will make all your labor for the kingdom effective. I keep praying, knowing that that all of the God's grace that is in you and the things that you're doing for the kingdom, I keep asking God, please don't let His labor be in vain. Please do mighty works in Him and please do mighty works through Him. This is a way that Paul is expressing his thankfulness. He is asking that the work Philemon is doing would bear fruit. If you're trying to serve God, don't you want it to be fruitful? Don't you want it to do something for His kingdom? And Paul's saying, I pray that for you, Philemon. I've said to you before, if you're struggling with someone, if you're struggling with someone in your life, a friend or family member, if you're struggling with someone in the church, 
and, and we've talked to other people about them, but we've not yet talked to them, that is a problem. I might say to us today that if we are trying to build or restore a relationship and we're not talking to God about that relationship and that person, if we're not going before God and praying for that person, then we're not actually relying on God to help us. Because if we're truly relying on God to do something in that relationship, we're going to be talking to God about that person. And... Notice that when we talk to God about that person, we're not just praying for what God, for what we want God to change about them. Sometimes it might be that, that we're slow to pray for someone, but then it might be that when we do pray for them, we just bring God our list of all the things we know God needs to do. So God, if you will change this and change this and change that, I really think they will be a really good person. What we're seeing here is not praying to God about what he what we want God to change but taking time to pray for that person by name and asking God to do what he will in their life to grow them in faith and to make them more like Jesus because if God does that in all of us if he works to grow our faith and make us more like Jesus that's really all we need And he prays that God would do mighty things through them. One of the keys to building healthy relationships with other Christians is asking God to make them more like Christ and do mighty things through them. Bear fruit through them, Lord. Key number three. We should engage and exhort the other person with God's word. So we have looked for grace in them and acknowledged it. We're talking to God and asking Him to do mighty things in them and through them. And now we've come to the point where we're going to engage them and exhort them with God's Word. Now I don't necessarily mean for these to be a step one, step two, step three kind of deal. But I will say that when you and I are in disagreement with someone, if we're in conflict with someone, there's two primary responses. There is the fight response, and there is the flight response. And you probably know yourself well enough to know which one you lean toward. So either we skip those first two things, looking for grace in someone and praying for them, so that we can move immediately to fight. I want to engage them. I want to talk to them. I want to deal with this. But what ends up happening is because we've skipped looking for grace and we've skipped praying to God, we're just doing that in our own power. We're just going to them and trying to deal with it in our flesh. I might throw a Bible verse in there, but still, we're just relying on our own power of persuasion. Or... We just go to flight and we ignore the issue. I will love them from a distance. I'll care about them from a distance. That's enough. I don't wish them ill, so it's okay. We might do the first two things. 
We might look for grace and pray for them, but we don't actually go and engage them and work on the relationship. And what we see in this letter is that Paul doesn't do either one of those things. He doesn't just go immediately to fight, and he also doesn't go to flight. He doesn't just say, I'm going to stay out of this. We see engagement. Paul is going to engage Onesimus and Philemon, and Onesimus is going to engage Philemon. And based on the letter, we believe Philemon will ultimately engage with him. And that engagement is happening, Paul says, with prayer and with hearts that have meditated on the grace that they see in Philemon. And then beginning in verse 8, because Paul's been praying for him and Paul's been thinking about the grace that is in him and now he's thankful for it. Beginning in verse 8, we actually start seeing what this engagement looks like. And what Paul tells him right off the bat is he says, Philemon, I could just tell you what to do. I could command you as an apostle, receive this man, do good to him, love him, be his brother. And he says, Philemon, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to command you to this. I want to appeal to you by the gospel. And the reason I want to appeal to you to please do this is because I don't want to guilt you I don't want to manipulate you into a godly relationship or reconciliation. I want this to be of your own accord from God. The implication is Paul wants God to do the work in Philemon that is needed. Paul wants God to do the work in Onesimus that is needed. If he doesn't, Change won't last. Some of us in this room who are the fight kind of people, our idea is I want to persuade and convince and get them to do the thing that I want them to do. And you might have enough power and enough persuasion. You might have enough tone in your voice or ability to carry a conversation that you will get them to change behavior for a little bit, but it won't last because it's not from the Lord. We can't have healthy relationships without engaging one another through spending time together. It's just a reality. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we've got to spend time together. And because we're called to healthy relationships in the whole church, we need to look for ways to spend time with as many people as we can. I was reminded this week that the last two years in January, I have laid the challenge before this church... Over the next 12 months, invite two families into your home that you don't know and don't usually spend time with and have a meal with them. And I've done that two years in a row as we've been going through a pandemic. I'm going to lay the challenge before you for the third year in a row. And I'm going to say, regardless of the pandemic, have some boldness and courage in the Lord. I'm not telling you to be reckless. But I am saying to be bold in the Lord and look for people in this church that you don't know very well and invite them over. And if you're in conflict with someone, 
that conflict is never going to be resolved without going to that other person and investing some time in reconciliation. And that's hard. It's hard to have truthful conversations with people in love. Sometimes that's hard because it's just difficult to say truthful things. Sometimes that's hard because it's easy for us to say truthful things, but it's not very easy for us to say them in love. I have found in the years that I have been able to pastor that the reason so many conflicts go unresolved is we're afraid of engagement. We're afraid to deal with it. And what I would say to us today is we should trust the Spirit of God in the other person and we should go to them. And we should trust the Spirit of God in our fellow Christian and we should receive them when they come to us. We should not approach them with our power of persuasion. We should appeal to them from God's Word. When we do go to them to talk and try to reconcile, our foundation should be God's Word. If there's something we think they should do or some way we think they should change or some way they've offended us or hurt us or things need to be different and we do not have God's Word to back that up, then we are simply going to them with our opinion. Our appeal should be from the Word. We don't demand of them. We don't command them to do something. We go to them and we appeal to them with the Gospel. Truth in love. And then we trust God. We don't go make our appeal and then a couple weeks later look at them and say, eh, nothing different. We trust God that He is working. And God often works in a process. We know that in our own lives. He often works over time. So that means we have to be patient while God works. We have to be patient and we keep loving them and keep loving them and keep loving them while God's doing the work that needs to be done. So we're looking for grace. We're talking to God, asking Him to do mighty things in them. We're engaging with people to build up relationships that are already good and reconcile those who are that need work, exhorting one another with the Word. And then number four, listen to them and consider their point of view deeply. When we engage with someone, especially when we're trying to work on the relationship because it hasn't been healthy, we need to listen to them and consider their point of view deeply. In verse 17, Paul says something to Philemon that's very interesting. He calls him his partner. That word there is from the word koinonia. That beautiful, deep, rich Greek word that is used to describe Christian community as a partnership in the gospel. Every one of us who are believers, who God has placed inside of this community or who God may place inside of this community, we are partners in the gospel. That binds us together. 
We have a stake in someone else loving God well and using their gifts. Because the more they do that, the more the gospel moves forward. And they have that stake in us. That we would grow in Christ's likeness so that we're more benefit to them, glorifying God and helping other people come to know Christ. So we're partners in the gospel and partners listen to one another. You can't have a partnership if one person does all the talking. You can't have a partnership if you don't talk to each other. But when you do talk to each other, to build that relationship, you have to listen. Partners know they don't always have to have their way. They don't always have to get the last word and they don't always have to be seen as right. And so what Paul's emphasizing with Philemon is you're my partner in Christ. So he tells Philemon, I know how you may feel. I know the reality is you probably feel wronged by Onesimus. He stole from you. I understand that. Paul is putting himself in the place of Philemon so he can understand his point of view. And Paul wants to empathize with him so much that he actually says, I know how you feel wronged. I know he owes you something. I'll pay it. I'll pay the debt. I will sacrifice what I have to work on this reconciliation because I know how you feel. Sometimes engaging one another as Christians and exhorting one another with God's Word is not the hard part of gospel conversations. Sometimes engagement is rather easy. Engaging what with the Word is rather easy. What is hard is patiently listening to someone else and taking time to consider how they feel and their point of view. When you listen to someone and you try to understand their point of view, you're not automatically saying they're right. You're just saying, I want to understand how you feel and where you're coming from. That might be someone we're in conflict with. It might also be someone we get along with very well. Sometimes we we have a good relationship with someone. We love them. But we have really different views on culture or the church. And so that causes conflict. Sometimes we just need to listen. Be empathetic. Try to understand. God has called us to that. He's given us these tools. And these tools that He gives us to listen and to be empathetic are intended to help us learn from one another. In Proverbs 8, 18, Proverbs 18, verse 17, Solomon says, The one who states his case first always seems right until the other person gets cross-examined. So he's, he's picturing this court setting. And Paul says, look, not Paul, sorry, trying to do too much with Paul. Solomon. Solomon says, I just suggest Jesus says because he wrote it all. But anyway, Solomon says, the first person you hear from, that person is always going to seem right. Sometimes, though, you hear the rest of the story. You go talk to someone else, and then you're like, oh. 
If you're a parent, you've addressed this. If you're a child, you've addressed this with your parents. Sometimes the first person to state their case to us is us. And we seem right to us. (laughs) And if we never engage with someone else so we can listen to them, help me understand why you said that. Help me understand why you did that. Help help me understand where you're coming from. I want to listen. Just I'm not going to talk. Just help me understand. And that might actually change our mind. We might see something a little differently than we did before. But if nothing else, it will display to someone else, I'm not just here to talk, I'm here to listen. Because I love you and I care about you. So building and restoring relationships in the church include healthy engagement and appealing to people with the gospel, and it includes plenty of listening. And I mean a true and deep pondering of their view. Trying to find where you can agree with them and maybe where you should have a new outlook. And finally, number five, a fifth biblical key to building up healthy relationships or restoring them that we see in this letter. Believe the best of other Christians because Christ is in them. Believe the best of others, other Christians, because Christ is in them. Paul ends his letter this way, verse 21. He says to Philemon, Philemon, I believe you will do even more than I say. Philemon, I'm not going to command you to do anything. I'm going to appeal to you with the gospel. And what I believe is going to happen is you're going to do more than I expect. I think you're going to do more than I could tell you to do if I tried to lay out the list of things that I think you should do. Before Paul even sent this letter, he was already confident that Philemon was going to ultimately do more for Onesimus and more for this relationship and more in this situation than he could ever ask him to do. He was confident of that. And I think the basis of that confidence was because he believed Christ was in Philemon. We talked about this last week. Relationships is not so much about trusting the other person as it is about trusting Christ in the other person. That we trust Jesus is working in them the same way He's working in us. And here's the reality. We don't always think the best of others. We don't always expect the best of others. Sometimes, especially in conflict, we assume the worst. We definitely do it in our marriages, in our families, and I think we do it sometimes in the church. We assume the worst of someone's motives. We assume the worst about how they feel about us or how they feel about having a relationship with us. And if we're going to have healthy, ongoing, reconciled, building up relationships, we've got to think the best of one another. We've got to assume the best of one another until proven otherwise. We're going to assume their motives are good. We're going to assume they want to do the right thing. We're going to assume that they love and care about us until it is proven otherwise. 
Because if we don't, sometimes what will happen is we'll go into a hard conversation with someone. And we'll say, all right, God, I'm going to do this because I know it's the right thing to do, but it is not going to help. They're not going to change. They're not going to listen. And the very first thing we see in that conversation that validates that assumption, we go, knew it. Knew it. But if we assume the best in someone until proven otherwise, it helps us get past a lot of those hiccups that come up in any relationship and in any conversation. It helps us press through those things. I know behind what you just said or that look you just gave me or that tone you just used, I know behind all of that is a heart that wants us to be reconciled and loving each other. And we do that not because we believe in the perfection of that person. We do it because we trust in the perfect God who's in them. And the one that we learned last week has providence over everything. Good and bad. And He is able to use everything, good or bad. God, if I could convince us of something, and I will say even myself, I am not immune to conflict. I shared with you last week about some struggles I've had in the past with, with conflict. But if I could convince us of anything regarding community, it might be this. Strong gospel relationships are not only possible, they are probable if we will trust God and do the hard things He's asking us to do. If we will trust Him and we will do the hard things that He's asking us to do in the way He asks us to do them, I believe God will always show up and do a work. It might not be immediate, it might not, it might not be something, it might not be the way that we think it'll turn out. But I believe he will do something if we're patient and we keep pressing in to love each other. And I would furthermore beg us to believe the healthy community is not just something we have to have, because I think we do have to have it. But it is something we get to have. What a beautiful thing when people who really don't have connections with each other outside of Jesus come together and love each other and care about one another. What a beautiful thing when we overlook faults. What a beautiful thing when we overlook offenses or we deal with offenses in a proper and right way and God does something in our relationships. What a beautiful thing. We get to have that. If we will trust Him. When you and I do our part to work out what God has placed in us, the love that He has placed in us, and when we keep fighting for community and we don't give up, we keep going and keep going and keep going, I think the church of Agape will reflect the kingdom of God very well. I think there will be a light here that people are drawn to. 
But we have to work for this. We have to work for it in the Lord. We do that starting even right now. Where we are in this new year. As the worship team comes up, and invite them to do so. I want to ask you to consider our prayer focus for this week. So don't check out on me. If you would look in your worship guide, look at Romans 13.8. I mentioned it earlier. Last week, what we prayed for in our prayer focus was that we would hear from God and that we would respond to His voice. This week, Romans 13.8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So what I want us to pray this week, I want to ask you to pray this right now in just a moment as we're worshiping. Ponder this. I want to ask you to put this somewhere where you can see it and pray it throughout the week until we gather again next Sunday, Lord willing. Pray that we would always see love as that unpaid debt we owe someone. No matter what, that we can look at another believer and say, I know I owe you love. And that's never going to be fully paid off. And also pray that the love of Jesus would fill us so much that that love it would be what directs what we do. And eventually it would spill over onto other people who don't, know, don't yet know Jesus. We had a flood at our house yesterday. And it started in the kitchen and went all over the kitchen and all over our sitting area. And then it went down the wall into our basement and all over our basement. And as we were dressing and dealing with it, some friends came over and helped us out, really saved the day. But I was walking around and I, I, I was telling... My friend, I said, look, I don't even like I don't even know where this water's coming from. Like it it was way over there that it was leaking. Why is water here? And why is water here? And and so what you learn if you've ever had a situation like that in a flood is like water goes everywhere. And it just finds a path and follows it, and it's amazing, like, oh wow, how much this water moves and spills all over everything. And so I had that imagery in my head when I was writing the prayer focus last night. I think the love of Christ in us works that way. When we pursue Him and abide in Him and love Him and His love is in us, it spills over from us in ways that we don't even understand. We don't even see. We, don't even, we won't always even know it's working. But that love that's in us, it just spills over onto other people. People in the church, people in our community, that's what I want us to have. That's what I'm asking for you to pray for today. As we sing and worship, pray. If you need to pray with each other, go do it. If you want someone to pray with you, I've asked uh, Eric and Jeanette, they'll come up and I'll be over here as well and we'll get some more people. If you want someone to pray with you, it may not even be about the sermon necessarily. Maybe there's you want prayers for healing or help and grace in your family or in your life or in a situation. We want to pray for you today. So Eric and Jen, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you if you come talk to me. We'll get some others if needed.
But if you would, would you spend some time asking the Lord to put the love of Christ in us and let it spill over onto others?